Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. Today is a lovely Monday morning, July the 25th, 2022. The weather's fantastic. I'm sitting out on a deck. Great rainfall last night. So what could be better? Only one thing. Starting the week off with Jimmy Saxon, the CFO of the Esquire Group based in Dubai, and this is our continuation of working our way through the great book, Charles Adams for Good and Evil, and all the wonderful lessons that he has left to us. How are you today, Jimmy? I am fantastic, John. How about yourself? As I say, it's an unusually nice July day in Toronto. Usually it's sweltering and, you know, et cetera. Okay, um, so we're on lesson 23, and I think we should probably begin. Let me just read this in, because what's unusual about this one is it's really not clear exactly what he means, and this is subject to a number of interpretations. So here we go. Historically, the conscience of tax makers has often been like Swiss cheese full of holes. When that happens, the conscience of taxpayers is also like Swiss cheese. God, I think I better read that a second time. Historically, the conscience of tax makers has often been like Swiss cheese, full of holes. When that happens, the conscience of taxpayers is also like Swiss cheese. Well, whatever that says, it seems to be implying a causal relationship between the conscience of the taxpayers and the, the tax makers, rather, and the conscience of the taxpayers. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, yeah. So what do you think that all means? Well, the way, the way I read it is, I think that, you know, I think the tax makers, they're constantly creating new taxes. They're constantly increasing tax rates, basically passing tax laws to generate more taxes. And I think that oftentimes they create, they, you know, between election cycles, they forget how much new taxes they've already created, right? I mean, they create new taxes or increase tax rates this year. And then by the next year, they, they forgot about that and they need more revenue again. And I think that that's why they're, they're, memory is like Swiss cheese is that, you know, it's full of holes forgetting about the things that they've already done, which causes the taxpayers um, to maybe forget about, uh, forget about complying with the tax law, maybe for forget, uh, but, but basically become more non to look for more ways to reduce taxes, I guess. Well, it's, it's certainly, uh, it certainly reduces any respect for the integrity of the tax system. Sure. I mean, no matter which way you look at it, uh, you know, you've got that for sure. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You know, I was at a meeting uh, actually this last week discussing FATCO. Yeah, okay. And what I found interesting about it was that so much of the discussion just focused on whether FACA had been successful in raising revenue, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I mean, we all know it hasn't. Everybody knows it hasn't. Everybody knows it's been a ridiculous failure. 
But I wonder if, you know, this notion of the concept of taxpayers being like Swiss cheese is, you know, it's partly means that they don't think about anything other than revenue, right? I mean, very there are a few laws that have been have destroyed the lives of more people and say factor, right? But, the, you know, that's never even part of the discussion. Who cares? Only issue is whether it, uh, whether it uh, generates revenue, right? Yep. I, I would say that that's absolutely true. I mean, look, the, the, I think the taxes are absolutely passed with only one thing in mind, and that is revenue for the government. I don't think that lawmakers think for one second how that affects um, taxpayers unless it's how, unless they think that it may impact them getting reelected. But in terms of the well-being of the taxpayer, they could give a damn. Well, I actually think I would extend it, you know, beyond that. You know, if you look, for example, what's happening in the United States at the moment, which is absolutely incredible, right? Uh, I don't think there's any any concern for even for the hardly for the country. You know, it just seems to be this, you know, this this lust for revenue, you know, for no yep. reason at all, right? Yep. No, I mean, this is well, no, I mean, look, I think it's a lust for revenue. For, for the reason of, of, of drunken spending. Um, but but there, there's no, there's, I, think that, I think that the politicians of today, especially in the United States, have no concern for the country. They have no concern for the taxpayers. They lack even basic respect for their fellow citizens that they would pass some of the laws that they do. Um, it, it's a disgrace. Well, I would go further than a lack of respect. I think it's more of, a, of an absolute contempt. Yeah. And, a, you know, an absolute contempt for them. Uh, yep. You know, these are these are arguments for, I think, you know, getting rid of the income tax altogether. Uh, I, I mean, if it's true that only half of the people pay federal tax anyway, right? Yeah, less. And presumably of a half that pay anything, they don't pay a lot. Uh, you know, when you look at the the administrative burden on all sides, it's, it's amazing to me that there's no public discussion other than, say, the fair tax initiative, no public discussion of getting rid of it altogether. No, absolutely not. And I don't even know who I don't even know who would start that discussion. Right. Because, I mean, if you think if you started this discussion. I mean, just imagine all of the businesses that are necessary to keep the tax system running, right? I mean, even on the private side, you have tax lawyers, tax preparers, then you have Deloitte and KPMG and the other huge accounting firms who are constantly lobbying to make the tax code more complicated, Um Well, I, you know, I think that a historical analogy, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but somehow this imaging always comes to mind is the Catholic Church before the Reformation, where, you know, the only way that you could talk to God was through the priest, right? You know, etc. And the, the whole tax system is so complicated. It is so complicated now that you know, the only, the, 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 you know, the, the so-called tax professionals, the preparers, the this is the that's, right, are basically the intermediaries, right? 
you know, the only way to, to talk to anybody about it. And I think given the fact that, that the role of tax systems has become much more, uh, much less about revenue and much more about influencing retirement planning and all this sort of stuff. I mean, I think it's absolutely disgraceful. Well, I mean, the only way you can talk to anybody and get any information about these important aspects of life by having to talk to an accountant or a lawyer. Yep. Well, I mean, not, not just that, but I think also the tax code, I mean, as, as you've uh, said before, it's, it's the, it's the law of the land now, right? It's, it's become, it's become the constitution. I think the tax code also, you know, has a lot to do with, with control. When we were talking about FATCA, for example, um, excuse me one second. When you talk about FATCA, for example, hold on. Sorry about that. It's a delivery. But what I was going to say is, you know, when you talk about fat cut, it really makes me wonder from a revenue standpoint, it's been a very unsuccessful initiative. But from a control standpoint, I mean, it's been a very successful initiative. I mean, when you think that fat has basically eradicated any sort of financial privacy, that when you even have I mean, just think about this for a second. If you have a German citizen that has never left Germany in their entire life and they want to open up a bank account, they have to fill out a U.S. tax form to open a bank account in their own country. I mean, oh, yeah. and, and when you look at a lot of these IGAs and FATCA accounts and, thing, and the FATCA agreements, you know, the U.S. under these agreements has the right to ask about information about any of the customers. <laughs> That's right. And it's even worse than that. I think that the, the most insidious thing about the fact of IGAs, I've never heard anybody discuss this amazingly, okay, is right there hiding in plain sight in the definition section. I'm like, you know, in the first few pages, a provision that says, that, you know, in effect, that the United States and the United States only gets to define who's a U.S. citizen for purposes of the IGA. I was unaware of that. Well, you know, I, I swear to God, you really should have a look at this uh, and inject this occasionally into conversation about fact. It's in the definition section. It's double E, double small E. OK, mm -hmm. you'll find it there. And. You know. I mean, this is a way, essentially, you know, in the old days, one country would invade another, you know, militarily, you know, they'd capture people, et cetera, et cetera. Now, all the United States has to do is declare anybody to be a U.S. citizen for factor purposes, right? Yep. That's, that's unbelievable. I was unaware of that, but that is absolutely unbelievable. Well, I think, Jimmy, I think it's the most unbelievable thing about the whole exercise. Well, I mean, and it's, and it's so, I mean, I think under, 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 um, 
I mean, what would you what would you call that? I think they teach you in law school that con a contract like that is unconscionable. Is, is, is that what it is? Well, it certainly would include that. Yeah, I know there's a lot of technical terms for these things that I don't think I ever knew them. But, you know, I get the point. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, when I look about it from that standpoint, yeah, the fact it may have been uh, unsuccessful from a revenue standpoint, but from a control standpoint, from a standpoint of having control over the world's financial system and insight into the world's financial system, I think it's probably one of the most successful pieces of legislation the United States have ever passed and implemented. Yeah, I mean, it really is because, you know, in simplest terms, can you imagine, all right, I mean, just, you know, we talk about this technically and somebody might say, well, what are these guys talking about? I mean, let's say you were to take a situation where, uh, you know, you have two towns, two small towns side by side, town A and town B, and town A is more militarily powerful, walks over to town B and says, uh, you know what, uh, from now on, all the, all the people in town B have to pay money to town A. I mean, that's all it is, right? Yep. So I really got to ask you this, why? I mean, I'm not expecting an answer. But I, they, you know, you can attempt it. Why in God's? I mean, do you think the people, the countries, didn't realize this when they were signing this? The VECA? Well, but you oh, know, I, the, I think they, part I think of it they, says the U.S. gets to define any one of their citizens as a U.S. citizen for tax purposes. You know the way the way I understand. I well, I think that they, I think it didn't matter whether they understood it or not, because. What I was told by some, a few people familiar in some smaller countries that were bullied into this, that basically what happened was that, you know, the, the banks, especially the large banks within countries, mostly survive not off of the small retail business that they do, but by serving big business customers. And the consequence of not signing FATCA was one, you could potentially have all these withholding taxes and stuff like that. But the US was also going around threatening to cancel banks' dollar licenses so that they couldn't deal in US dollars. And so, so there were several countries that were actually pushing back on these IGAs, and, and, and the way I, I have been told that it happened is basically the U.S. went and said, listen, you sign this thing or you can't deal in U.S. dollars, period. And, oh. and, and, and then the big co business co co uh, companies that they, um, that they served and the banks and everybody started making pressure on the governments to enter into these IGAs because otherwise the banks were going to lose their, their biggest customers because they couldn't deal in U.S. dollars. I mean, they were just bullied into it. Oh, there's no question they were, they were bullied into it. But you know what's an interesting analogy just in the last couple of months? Um, you know, as you know, there's this discussion going on about this global minimum tax. This I think it's pillar two. Yep. Uh and, uh, you know, so 135 countries or something have signed this thing. And Hungary 
uh, said, well, you know, they're not going to sign it. So the uh, so the U.S. U.S. Treasury is actually yeah, trying to cancel the tax the treaty. Tax treaty. Yep. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that Hungary should just stand its ground. Um, well, what I find interesting about this whole this whole thing with, with Hungary is that first of all, the the U.S. They they sort of signed on to this thing, but they but there's no way that they can actually implement it, right? I mean, it, it's it's extraordinary. I mean, yeah, it's like do what we say, not what we do. They they have not been able to pass the laws needed to raise the their own minimum tax of the fifteen percent. You know, yet they're out bullying other countries for well, not doing this. Well, and not 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 just that, but arguably this global minimum tax is a tax treaty that would require the consent to two thirds of the Senate. So the government, you know, signed on to this thing, um, but they can't make it law without oh, that's the right. Senate. So what I found interesting about this Hungary thing <clears throat> is the only people that benefit from Hungary signing on to it really is the EU. Um, so I always so I wonder what sort of quid pro quo is going on that the U.S. is is bullying Hungary for the benefit of the EU because the the U.S. gets no benefit from Hungary signing on to this thing. Uh, well, they they may not get all the benefit, but the purpose of this, as far as I can determine, is to raise the costs of doing business for competitors to U.S. companies, right? So basically, I mean, you say, well, you know, if the U.S. wants higher tax rates on its companies, then let them impose higher tax rates, right? But the problem then becomes is that U.S. companies have to compete against companies that aren't burdened by those same kinds of costs. So really, you know, the motivation behind the global minimum tax, it's not a global minimum tax, it's, it's basically an agreement to impose minimum costs on any corporation that competes with U.S. multinationals, right? Well, if, but if, well, yeah, but, but it's still a global, I think it is still a global minimum tax because you have the, you have the top-up provisions, right? So. Oh, it, oh, it is, yeah. So I, I think it definitely is a global minimum tax. I think if anything, it doesn't help the U.S.'s companies. It harms them. I mean, it's going to subject them to, to more taxes. I mean, I mean, if you look at the multinationals, I mean, let me give you an example. I mean, because basically what's happening is, you know, you're making like let's take Dubai for example. The UAE doesn't currently have an income tax, but next year they're going to start one at at nine per percent. <clears throat> that doesn't really raise the tax or the cost to companies doing businesses there. What it does though is it's shifting revenue from you know let's say you have a large German company, right? Just as an example. And they're doing business in, in the UAE. Let's say Germany has a corporate tax rate of 9%. Before, 
without the minimum without the minimum tax, whatever profit stayed in Dubai would just stay in Dubai and not get taxed. Now they're saying, well, if you didn't pay at least um, you know fifteen percent in Dubai, then we can top it up in in Germany and charge you this. Yeah. But what they're what they're doing is they're letting Dubai keep nine percent. Germany's actually would only get, you know, an, what fifteen percent, um, because they'd get a foreign tax credit for what was paid in the UAE. So Dubai would tax at nine percent. Germany would tax at fifteen. Right. Germany if you assume a twenty four percent tax, if you assume a twenty four percent tax rate. Right. The 24% tax rate. Is that in what it general, is? I think that's what it is, right? Because, because before, you know, what's happened in, because most countries right now don't have a minimum tax, right? So, and, and most countries, like I know the, um, you know, Canada has the foreign affiliate uh, taxation, which is similar to the U.S.'s subpart F. And, you know, the U.S. has this, the guilty tax, where you're taxing sort of the, well, the guilty, I guess, is the real relevant one, where you're charging a minimum tax on the profits of a foreign company. Most countries don't have this, though, right? So most countries, if you're an Austrian country and you own a company and you own a subsidiary somewhere else, you don't pay tax on that subsidiary's income until you bring it back to to Germany, for example, wherever right. they're from. And so what, what they're trying to do with this global minimum tax is, 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 is change that. Yeah, well, there's certainly that. And it does have the effect of just raising the cost of doing business. But, you know, sure, that's an, an amazing thing. I mean, do you, I mean, how do you foresee, not that anybody knows, but how do you foresee that unfolding? Well, I think, you think it's anytime soon or, well, I, I, you know, I think a lot of it honestly kind of depends on, on, on hungry. I think, I think that it's certainly losing momentum. Um, you know, they wanted to have this thing implemented by the end of this year. Then it was by sometime in 23 and now they're all already in, in, in 24. Um, I, I think they're going to have a really hard time getting it through because the global minimum tax is pointless if they can't get the U.S. on board. And I don't see how they're going to get the U.S. on board because the Democrats don't have the political capital to actually get this thing implemented. And in November, the Democrats are going to lose so many seats in the midterms. And then the Republicans are going to kill this thing. I mean, the Republicans are never going to going to, you know, they're, they're all against this. Yeah, I think there's certainly much less chance for the Republicans. But let me ask you this. You know, I read everywhere, you know, it's almost an expectation that, you know, the Democrats are going to not fare well in November. Um, so you, for you, you agree with that, presumably? Yep, absolutely. Tell me, tell me why you think that. I mean, I haven't put a lot of thought into that particularly. But why, why do you think that? Well, I think there's two reasons. I think one, the economy is not headed in the right direction in the United States. Inflation is going up. Um, you know, the, the, the stock market did have a little bit of adjustment. It's come back a lot since. Um, but 
people are struggling to pay pay their bills, mostly due to inflation. And Biden is not really doing anything productive to, to stop it. Um, I don't know that he can either. But I think that whenever you have a president that is is the president during a financial downturn, they don't get reelected. So in other words, in the wrong place in the wrong time. I think wrong. I think, look, I think part of it is wrong place, wrong time. I think the other part of it is. And this is something. It's going to be very, very un, un, unpopular thing to say. But people are really pissed about <coughs> all this money going to Ukraine. You know, you have people in America with inflation going through the roof. They're struggling to pay their bills. They're, 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 they're suffering. You have health care costs going up. You have all these ridiculous things. And the U.S. is sending billions and billions and billions of dollars to the Ukraine um, for, for something that really has very little impact on the United States, the way most people see it. Most people see what's going on at home um, as far more important than what's going on in the Ukraine. Well, it certainly is for them. There's no question about well, that. Well, correct, but and and so they think that they very much disagree with 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 what Biden is is doing there. So, do you think it matters? So, so we're looking at uh, you know the Congress right in November, but I mean a presidential election is coming as well. Yeah, uh, I mean recognizing these are just sort of opinions and that. Uh, do you envision the Democrats replacing Biden as their nominee? I mean, I think that they want to, but I'm not sure that they, how they do that. Well, it's not like they have a, a very deep bench. No. You know, which no. is part of the problem. I mean, that's part of the problem, you know, running a, party based on rewarding seniority you know rather than well and look i think you have i think you have i think you have desantis down in florida who i think is very appealing to a lot of people why do you think he's appealing because i think he's a little bit more libertarian than than a lot of other people i think he's kind of um i think he's a little bit more center i mean center right obviously but the guy sounds like a like a reasonable and intelligent human being and i mean look at look at how he navigated um florida through covid and i think a lot of the country even if you just look at the covid looks at him and goes i know so many people that have moved to florida uh just because they feel like people are running a reasonable state there <laughs> as compared to California with this Newsome guy who's basically a communist. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty clear that uh, a lot of people in the United States are voting with their feet. I think New York is also hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging taxpayers. No. no, I mean, look, I mean, look, I mean, I, I think that Florida is one of the few places in the world that just looked at this COVID thing and said, <coughs> Shutting down the world, or our state at least, because of COVID is just a ridiculous thing to do. And he just didn't do it. 
And Florida came out of it, I mean, arguably better than anybody else did <laughs> in, the, in the U.S., and they stayed open. And they were the first ones to get rid of masks. I don't think they ever even had a mask mandate. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Well, let me ask you this. So, you know, the Democratic Party passed the deal, grappled with the question of who should be their nominee in the next presidential election. But the Republican Party does, too. Yep. So, so what do you think about a return of Donald Trump? <laughs> I mean, um, I think I think that, well, I think it's very likely that he that he could be the the 2024 candidate. I mean, look, everybody hates Donald Trump because they thought he was a little bit crazy. But I, I think in, in, in reality, for the things that are important to me, um, I think that he did a lot of good. What if, uh, you know, so you're, you know, you're uh, part of the uh, Republican RNC, whatever brain trust. And, uh, you know, you're saying, well, you know, should we get behind a return of Donald Trump or should we perhaps, you mentioned DeSantis, you know, should we, you know, perhaps make a bet on the future and uh, support somebody like DeSantis? What, what, what do you think is the more likely outcome? Oh, that's a good question. Look, I think the two... Or, or do they solve their problem by, by, by just a ticket, president, vice president, both of them on it? That might work. I mean, look, I think Donald Trump would have a very good chance of winning, assuming he runs again. I think that he could very easily secure the Republican nomination. And I think he could beat almost any Democrat out there, because I think if you look at, at, at Joe Biden, I think that Joe Biden's age shows a lot more than Trump's. Um, in terms of his mannerisms and, 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 and sort of things they, they catch him doing. I think that, you know, Trump's coherent <laughs> a little more, more than Biden. I mean, Biden's. You, you might not like what he says, but at least you know what he says. Exactly. And, <laughs> and I think Biden's, you know, just senile old man, unfortunately. Um, and, and who else, who else are the Democrats going to put forward? Like Elizabeth Warren? AOC. I mean, they have a bunch of lunatics on on, on their side. Like, there's well, so that's the problem. They, well, neither political party has invested in its future very much, but the Democrats have been particularly bad on that. I think. Yep. Because you just can't elect somebody that far left. It's just not. They're not electable. Okay, so let's say. I mean, do you think there's a reasonably good chance of the following scenario: the Republicans control the House, the Senate, and the presidency? Do you think there's yep. a reasonably good chance of that? Yep. What happens to the Democratic Party then? I mean, they're just going to have to basically sit around and wait for the Republicans to screw something up, and people want want to change again. I mean, look, you have if you look at the polls right now. Or the, the poll, yeah, I guess it would be the be the polls. You have Democrats abandoning their party in favor of the Republicans in droves because the because the, the Democrats have just gone too far left. Um, Isn't it that they've gone too far left or that they don't really stand for anything? Well, I think that that's a very good point, right? I mean, they, they stand for nonsense. 
usually, right? I mean, they're just keep picking all of these, you know, weird things to focus on. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I, my, no, you know what they, you know what they stand for, John? They stand for political correctness, and that everybody gets to be a victim <laughs> of, of somebody saying something mean and offensive. Well, I don't know, Jimmy. I don't think you, neither you nor I, are perceived as victims. No, but 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 no, no, no. But we're, but I don't think we're uh, we're the Democratic Party either. But, well, if somebody, true. but if somebody cries that somebody made them hurt their feelings because they, you know, whatever, then the Democrats will rally behind this person. You know, I, uh, I watched the uh, conventions for both parties. Uh, you know, there were virtual conventions before the last yeah. election. And I, you know, watching the, the Democrats, I, I cannot, I, you know, there's just no place in that party for most people. No, a hundred percent. I mean, it's like it's crazy. It's hard to even know what they're, you know, what what, what they stand for, if anything. I mean, you know, you mentioned some things, but really, uh, you know, I think that their their platform is we got to get rid of the Republicans. Yep. You know, which is not which is not a great <laughs> well, platform. I mean, or 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 beat or just beating up on the Republicans, right? Just. Yeah, well, it, you know, these things become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, I, I am inclined to think that Biden may very well be the nominee. Who? Well, I think I'm inclined to think that Biden may well be the, the nominee. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have never actually, I mean, I may be, you know, completely wrong on this, but I've never seen Biden as presumptively a one-term president. I mean, you know, the guy spent his whole life in politics. I mean, you know, where's the incentive sure. for him to go anywhere? Yeah. You know, and that coupled with the fact that, you know, I mean, the Democrats are just not, I mean, the whole part, they're all so old. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think one of the best arguments for somebody like DeSantis is simply uh, that he's a lot younger, you know. I mean, he's got, you know, I think a foot in the, the pre-digital age and the current digital, and none of these other people do, right? Yep. Although, but, argu although arguably, Trump has been the most successful political person using a digital platform ever until he got banned from it. Sorry, say again? Well, I mean, are you talking about the digital age in terms of just computers and information technology in general? Or are you talking about like social media? Yeah, uh, the whole thing. The okay. Whole thing. No, look, I think, I, I and I think also, yeah, I, I, I think, look, being president, I think is a is a younger man's game. I think it is too. Uh, totally. I mean, I think that you know, if you look at some of the more successful presidents in our lifetimes, you know, I think probably Clinton, I mean, I'm not saying that I like these people particularly, but I think that Clinton and Obama were probably would come to mind as relatively successful presidents, uh, partly because of energy level and stuff like that, but they were both in their 40s, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, Clinton for sure. Yeah, both of them, yes. 
Well, I do think you're right that uh, if the Democrats don't prevail, it's going to be the end of the global minimum tax, or at least the U.S. participation in it. Or maybe they won't participate. The rest of the world will, and it will be sort of like uh, FATCA versus the CRS, right? You know, the U.S. doesn't participate in it, but expects other people to. Maybe, maybe that's where it's going. Yeah, I mean, it, it might. I mean, it might. Look, the bottom line is this global minimum tax is just bad for the world, right? I mean, um, we need to have tax competition between countries. Uh, with, yep. with, without it, um, these governments will, will run amok. Uh, and, and the global minimum tax rate will go up from 15% and the thresholds at which it'll apply will come down. Mm -hmm. um, it's not oh, a good absolutely thing. no question about it. Absolutely no question about it. Yep. All right. Well, this has been an interesting discussion this morning. Again, we're, you know, the, the trigger for it all was Charles Adams Lesson 23, historically, the conscience of tax makers has often been like Swiss cheese full of holes. When that happens, the conscience of taxpayers, I guess in a reactive sense, is also like Swiss cheese. Well, great connecting with you today, Jimmy. Any final words of sex and wisdom, including how would they get a hold of you? Uh, www.esquiregroup.com or shoot us an email at info at esquiregroup.com. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks again for the conversation and until next week. See you next week.